0: Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn to me to the book of 1 John. 1 John is right towards the end of the Bible. We're going to read verses 5 through chapter 2, verse 2 of chapter 1. We're going to start in 1, 5. We're going to focus on the first couple of verses, 5 and 6 and 7, but we'll read the whole passage to get the broader context a little bit. Uh, Joel Fry already welcomed you. I will add my voice of welcome to you this morning. I see some uh, visitors with us. We have visitors every week, and it's good to see you all uh, here. It is very full here. It is very full downstairs in the Fellowship Hall. If you are sitting down there, we appreciate your uh, creating room. There's not much chance that you would all fit up here. So uh, thank you for uh, serving us uh, by taking your turn downstairs. Thursday night, I had a chance to uh, speak at Navigators on the campus of Millersville University. We support uh, John and Melanie Birkenbein financially in the work that they do there. Uh, There there were over 70 students. It was a full room, and uh, uh, things are going quite well for them. Uh, From what I understand from Dan and Lisa, uh, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes that's been meeting on campus has been similarly full. They've had a large group of students coming. Which is wonderful. Uh, I talked to, we don't financially support him, but I talked not too long ago to uh, the director of the Reformed University Fellowship on campus. That is a ministry that um, uh, we don't financially support, but we're on the same gospel team. And he told me the director's name is wonderful. It's Trip Beans. That's a great name. Uh, but uh, Trip told me that they too are just seeing a large number of students uh, coming, and uh, it, it makes one hopeful about the work that God might be doing on the campus just a mile and a half away. So uh, numbers are not everything, but uh, we give thanks to God for, this, uh, for your presence here uh, today. Now I'm going to read from 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, uh, through chapter 2, verse 2. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. On my first day as a college freshman, I walked into my first class and I sat down next to a young man from Florida whose name was Dayton. I don't remember who started the conversation that day, uh, but we started talking then and we kept talking and sitting next to each other in class for the next three years that we were both there until we graduated Uh, We sat next to each other in class. We sat across from each other at lunch and dinner. We sat in the same row at chapel. We played racquetball on Friday afternoons as often as we could. And if you needed something from the grocery store or Walmart, um, we often went together. During spring break, our first year, uh, I took Dayton home with me to Perry, New York. There are few things more enjoyable for a Western New Yorker than to introduce a Floridian to march in Western New York. That is a wonderful experience. Now, the next year, uh, during spring break, Dayton invited his girlfriend and Kathy and me to spend spring break with his family in West Palm Beach. The weather was a lot better. Uh, every now and then, Dayton would tell us, and uh, we usually sit around and talk, he would tell us about a relative of his who had developed some friends in college. Uh, it was an aunt or a, a cousin. And they had met this group of, of friends, And uh, they had maintained their, this is pre-Facebook days. they had maintained their friendship for 40 years. This is how they did it. Uh, One of them would sit down and write a letter to one of them and mail it to the next person with a stamp and everything. They'd mail this letter. And, and that person would take the letter and read it and then write their own note on, on that same sheet of paper, put it in and mail it to the next person. And then it would go to the next person, next person, all the way around until it got around and then someone would start again and they'd write this. And they did this for years and years and years. Uh, Dayton uh, told us this story uh, about this, I'm sure, because I think, think that's what he hoped would happen to our friendship, that, that um, we would maintain this. And I have to tell you, we did not. Um, we've lost touch. We're we're friends on Facebook. Actually, he's not on Facebook. I'm friends with his wife on Facebook, so I see pictures of his cute children all the time. But it's been five years since we've uh, spoken, and before that it was probably ten years. Friendships have to be maintained. Some of you are really good at forming friendships and nurturing friendships and maintaining them. I am not good at that. But all relationships, in order for them to thrive, have to be maintained. It's true of your marriage. You should think about that as, as you, you start growth groups, as they begin again. In order for friendships to thrive, you have to invest in them. You have to nurture them. They take effort. Everything that is worthwhile in this life takes effort. Isn't that true? What does it mean to maintain? I'm not even sure that's the right word. Well, let's use it for a minute. What does it take to maintain a friendship with God? This is one of John's chief concerns in this letter that is open before us. Uh, it's the subject of this paragraph that we just read. How do you know that you really know God? And what does it mean to really know God? How do you know that your relationship with him is real? It's possible to be deceived about this. Uh, Apparently, there were some who said, I know God, and John said, no, you don't. It's possible to deceive yourself. It's possible to deceive others. He said in verse 6, we read it, we lie. We don't live out the truth. Someone is lying. You don't actually, whatever you think you are experiencing is not actually a real relationship with God. John writes that to them. The key word in this section that we just read is the word fellowship. Uh, the great preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones, who preached for 40 years in Great Britain, said that this is one of the highest truths of the Bible. In fact, he said, I'm afraid to talk about it. This is where he said all of Scripture points. This is why the Lord Jesus has come. He died. He rose again. He ascended into heaven so that we could have fellowship with God. Jesus didn't come to set a good example for us of clean living. He didn't come merely so that you could have a wonderful life. He didn't come just to rescue you from hell or to ensure you could go to heaven. All of those things are entailed in why He came, but the reason that He came, their expressions, all of those things, are expressions of the fact that He came so that you could have fellowship with God, so that you can know Him truly. This is a stunning assertion, that you could know God. And I want to spend some time this morning showing you why this is a stunning assertion. I want to talk to you about fellowship with God, and I want to, following the text, I want to do so under three headings. First, we're going to talk about the God with whom we have fellowship, the God that we know. And then secondly, we're going to talk about the roadblock to fellowship with God. And third, we're going to talk about the solution that God provides. So who is this God that we talk about knowing? What is he like, the God who befriends us? And then what is it that keeps us apart from him? What is it about knowing him that trips up so many people? And, and, and what has God done about this problem, this problem that we have, that we have caused? Those are the three things that we're going to talk about. Let's start first. Who is this God that we are uh, to know, that we know? Um. The God with whom we have fellowship, verse 5, uh, John says, God is light. This is the God, God who is light. Now, before, there's a, a, a phrase before that we got to talk about. I, I love how he starts his verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him. This is the message that we have heard from him. Now, where did John learn about this? Who's the him that he's writing about here? The him, I think, is the Lord Jesus. John emphasized this. He's saying, I I have heard a message from Jesus and I'm proclaiming it to you. And John emphasized this from him because, and you probably remember this, he was writing to a group of people who were uh, under the influence of false teaching that was denying the Lord Jesus. That is, they didn't want to confess or they, they denied that Jesus of Nazareth was God the Son incarnate. So John slips this from him in here just to remind them as we talk about fellowship with God, uh, you have to at least start there. We're going we're to go past this. But you have to at least begin with this confession. This confession in the divine human nature of the Lord Jesus, that he really is the God-man. You cannot have fellowship with God without starting here. You cannot have fellowship with God aside from Jesus. Jesus himself said this. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So you can't have fellowship with the Lord, uh, with God without bypassing the Lord Jesus. So the source of John's message is Jesus himself. And the content of the message is that God is light. He's light. Light is one of the master images of the Bible. In fact, almost all religions use light as an image. But it's one of the key word pictures in the Bible. It's interesting to think about there is light at the beginning and light at the end. Light is the first thing that God creates. In Genesis 1-3, God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And in the end, uh, uh, the Bible speaks about light. In Revelation 22-5, it says of, of eternity, There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. So there's light at the beginning of the Bible, light at the end of the Bible, and in between there's over 200 references to light. And when it points to God as light, the Bible is primarily focusing on three truths. The the second and third are even more preeminent, but there's three things when the Bible says, when John writes, God is light, three things he's trying to tell us about God. First of all, he's trying to tell us that God is the source of life. God is the source of life. He's the life giver. Without him there can be no life. All life has its origin in him. John 1.4 says, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. God's the source of life. He's the source of new life. This continues here as we think about God as the source of life. Psalm 27.1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. He's my light. He's my rescuer. Paul draws this out in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. It's a wonderful verse. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Just like he did in Genesis 1 when God spoke and said, let there be light and there was light. So God has spoken into the life of every follower of Jesus Christ and he has turned the light on in your life so that you see the glory of the Lord Jesus. It is as if God pronounces over you, let there be light, and you see, and you believe. It's wonderful. God is a source of life. Second, when, when the Bible says that God is light, it is describing him as a source of truth. He is the source of truth. This begins with God's self-revelation. It is the nature of light to reveal itself. We know what truth is because of light. Uh, light helps us see things. It's by light we know things and see all things. Psalm one nineteen one o five says about God: Your word is a lamp for my feet, it's a light to my path. It's how we know what's true. This is why some of you don't sleep very well the first night you're in a hotel room, or in somewhere somewhere strange. Um, it's dark and. And you're oriented in the room differently, and and if those first few seconds when you wake up, you, where am I? What's happening? Uh, uh, you're disoriented. Am I in danger? Am I okay? Where's the light? You you need the light so that you you, you see and you can understand your surroundings. God is the source of light. he's light. He's the source of truth. Third, God is the source of goodness. God is the source of goodness. Light in the Bible is associated with holiness, righteousness, purity, goodness, being clean and pure and whole. And all of these things are found in God. Light is not just life and truth. Light is morality too. It's goodness. Merv read this from Ephesians 5. I love to listen to Merv read the Bible. He reads it so well. In and, and, and Ephesians 5. For you were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. So what does that mean? Live. Make choices. Live as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. There are choices to be made that reflect light and spurn darkness. Because God is light. He's a source of goodness. What's going to happen, John makes this declaration, God is light. And for the rest of 1 John, this section, the apostle is going to talk about what is involved in knowing the God who is light. What are the implications of the fact that we have fellowship with the God who is light? That's what he's going to do. But this description of God, he is light, in and of itself is an argument for why you would want to know him. So he says, God is light. Here's what it means. Here are the implications of walking with him. But when he says God is light, it's an argument itself. Why would I want to do all these things? Why would I want to, be inv- why would I want to walk with this God who, who exists? It's because he's light. That's why he's light. Uh, this week I was reading 2 Samuel. And uh, I came across a passage that we read several months ago in in chapter 23. Uh, Look at it. I printed it out on the note sheet. 2 Samuel 23, verse 3. It says, The God of Israel spoke. The rock of Israel said to me, When one rules over people in righteousness, when he rules in the fear of God, he is like the light of morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning, like the brightness after rain that brings grass from the earth. Now, David here in this passage is offering the possibility that there could be leaders. He casts them in terms of uh, political leaders, uh, kings, presidents, prime ministers, senators. He's raising the possibility that there could be governmental leaders who could lead so well, so skillfully that their leadership would provide blessing upon blessing happiness upon happiness, that their leadership would be like the rising sun on a cloudless morning, that it would bring hope and joy and justice and goodness. Now, he says that that leadership comes from the fear of God, but notice he raises this possibility. This passage challenges me for a number of reasons. Number one, uh, until yesterday, we hadn't had a cloudless morning in so many weeks that I can't even imagine what David is possibly talking about. I understand the rain that falls, but the brightness, I'm not so sure, right? So that's one problem. The second problem is, after this week, I have no hope that anyone actually in government could actually provide this sort of light leadership, right? But it is a possibility. Could you imagine? Uh, getting up one one morning and looking at your phone for the news or reading the newspaper and and seeing there on the cover some decision that has come from Harrisburg or Washington D.C. that just brings you such joy you can't imagine it. It's it's so so wise and just and good. This is this is amazing. That's when you would wonder where you were, right? <laughs> yeah. It's a possibility. Have you ever had a coach? Some of you have, I know. A coach or a teacher like this. A coach who is just so skilled and such a great leader that everyone wanted to be on her team, or or a teacher and everybody wanted to sign up for that teacher's class because of how that teacher interacts with the student and with the material, and or a growth group leader, right? Everyone everyone wants to be in that person's growth group. Do you know someone like that? See, John is making this argument. He's saying God is light, and and we we say, yeah, I want to know Him. One of my sorrows in life is that my kids never got to meet my Grandma Davinie, my dad's mom. I'm sure I've talked to you about her before. I used to spend weekends at her house. My parents would they have various responsibilities or things. Do you want, to spend, you want to go to Grandma's house? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we went out for a fish fry on Friday night because that's what you do in western New York. Uh, we'd stay up late and watch TV. So late we even watched all of the Dukes of Hazzard. Uh, we would play cards. We played I Spy. We went on Saturdays to visit my great-grandmother in the nursing home. We ate popcorn and ice cream. My, great, my grandmother could eat ice cream in such a way that she would leave nothing, not a drop, in the bowl. I don't know how she did that. To every family event, she would bring homemade fudge. And usually they asked her to bring the vegetable tray too, which she loaded with cucumbers because she knows I love cucumbers. And she never gave me green beans. (laughs) Because that's what love is. That's what love is. When we were teenagers, my sisters and I, in succession, we mowed her lawn, a job for which she grossly overpaid us. Uh, She had a a, a strict budget uh, with her grandchildren about how much money she would spend on birthday presents for her grandchildren. When my sister was, I think, two or three little... Uh, she uh, wanted a a set of sheets. Well, my parents asked for a set of sheets on her behalf, Holly Hobby sheets. We're going back a few years. So you could buy the fitted Holly Hobby sheet and the flat uh, uh, Holly Hobby sheet. Well, Grandma's budget only uh, could afford one of them. So she brought the the fitted Holly Hobby sheet and, and gave it to my sister on her birthday, and then she pulled my mother aside and she said, the flat one's upstairs in the drawer. I put it away for you. It's a woman who is sneakily generous, right? I wish, I wish that my kids could go to uh, fish fry on Friday night with my grandma. And I wish they could play cards with her and, and I spy. Do you know someone like that? Do you have someone in your life like that? Here is God, John says. God is light. He's light. He's the source of life and truth and goodness, and beauty, and you can know Him. You can have fellowship with Him. He is infinitely better than anyone that you love or admire. What the joy of walking with Him, and knowing Him, and being with Him. What a privilege it is to represent His interests. What a privilege it is to, to, to be able to speak for Him in the halls of your high school, or in, in the office where you work. To serve his cause, to sacrifice your money for, for his glory. This is God. He's the source of indescribable happiness and in him there is no darkness at all. If you have any reason to suspect his behavior, if you have anything that you think he has done that is questionable, it is not, the problem is not in him. It's in the darkness that we have introduced into the world. Because when God reigns in that great day, when he eliminates all darkness, there's going to be no sorrow, no pain, no mourning, no grief, because God is light. He's the source of all truth and goodness and beauty. To know this God, it's an immense privilege. John learned all this from Jesus Himself. Can you imagine what it was like talking to an 85-year-old John, if he lived that long? We think by tradition he did. Can you imagine what it was like sitting around and talking to John and hearing Jesus talk, uh, hearing John talk about the fish fries that Jesus used to host? And, and the things that Jesus used to say and, and do you know, that didn't get written down. John told us there's so much more that he could have written down. He didn't write all of it down. Can you imagine what it was like listening to him talk about that? And from that, Jesus, he learned that God is light. You can walk with him. But there's a problem we have. We're going to move on here to point two. There's a roadblock to our fellowship with this God, and it is bound up with our own deficiency. It's bound up with our own problems. Basically, the, the roadblock is that we love darkness, not light. John addresses previously in the gospel, his gospel. Listen to John chapter 3, starting in verse 19. This is the verdict, John says in John 3. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear. Their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly what they have, that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So John is writing about this great God that you can know. And there's part of us that says, oh, that sounds great. And then there's another part of us that says, no, I don't think so. Martin Luther, one day, one of his confessors, he was speaking to Martin Luther, and Martin Luther, uh, and the confessor said, y- you need to love God. And Martin Luther said, love God, sometimes I hate him. Because he's light, he's so, he's so good. He's, he, but he shows how I'm not. And If light is uh, a, a representation of God's truth and God's goodness... There's part of us that that we just love what is false. And and we like to live in the dark, do things in the, the dark. There is a God who has revealed Himself. He is light. He has revealed Himself in the world. He's revealed Himself in the Word. He's revealed Himself in His Son that He has sent. He created us to walk with Him. But the problem is that we love darkness and not light. This is our natural spiritual condition, the roots of which are embedded deep into our human story. We don't like light. We don't like it when people tell us the truth about ourselves, deep truths about ourselves. Is there anyone in the room who likes to be criticized? Uh... We have two bathrooms upstairs in our house and sometimes in the midst of my schedule I get ready uh, in one of them and then I go downstairs and eat breakfast and I come back upstairs to brush my teeth and sometimes I go in the other bathroom. Uh, one bathroom, the one I usually get ready in, the lighting is not very good. And then the other one, the lighting is really good. So I get all ready and I think I'm, I'm, I'm good for the day. So I go downstairs and I eat breakfast and I come back up and I look in the mirror of the well-lit bathroom and I think to myself, what happened? Where did all that ear hair come from? Right? What? I'm growing a forest in there that I've never seen before so I'm at that age. I appreciate that light because it tells me the truth about my appearance, but I'm not so appreciative when someone comes up and says, "You know you really have a problem with the truth. You're a liar. you you don't like to look bad and you cover it up with the words that you say. I don't like it when people say things to me like, have you ever thought about how envious you are and you talk about the things that other people have and how you wish you had them? You're an envious person. I don't like that. The light that comes from God, from who he is, is a searching light. We love darkness. We don't like light in our behavior. Did you do something this week? Or maybe I should change this question. How much did you do this week that if it was revealed to us, if we could lower the screen, let's let's look at the tape. If we could watch it all, you would be ashamed to see. God is light. We like the darkness. So what do we do about this? There's this incontrovertible conflict. God is light. You prefer darkness. You can't have both, light and darkness. This is precisely the point that John makes in verse 6. He says, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie. We don't practice the truth. What happens in this this passage, these whole paragraphs here, is that that John is going to take out address some of the claims that people are making or some of the ways that people try to deal with this conflict between light and darkness, they all start with if we claim. We're going to look at 1 in verse 6 right now, and then next week we'll do what's in verses 8 and 10. But look, if we claim to have fellowship with him, we'll address that, verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, So there's this conflict between God is light and we love darkness. What are we going to do about it? Well, here's three options, and John just takes them all out. And the first one is, the first uh, uh, claim is we can try to sever the connection between what we claim about God and our conduct, what we say we believe and how we behave, what we profess with our lips and how we live. Apparently that's what some people were doing. Some people were saying... um, I know God, and I love God, and then their lives were just a mess. And John said, you can't do that. You're not practicing the truth. In the context of 1 John, I think there, these people had a particular philosophical bent. We talked about this. They were they were, divided, they were dividing the spiritual world from the physical world, the material world. God is a spirit, so I can have wonderful spiritual friendship with him, and then I can do with my body whatever I want. It doesn't matter. And then John says, well, you you can't do that because Jesus, who was uh, God, took on a body to himself. So you can't separate them like like that. But this verse, so so he's addressing that philosophy, but I think verse 6 also addresses some of the ways that we rationalize our own choices to ourselves. If you at any point in time find yourself minimizing your behavior and minimizing the consequences of your behavior, I think you're living in verse 6. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie. We don't live out the truth. I can think of a few ways we do this. Sometimes, sometimes we try to justify the self with regard to our relationships. So you begin dating a man or a woman you know doesn't share your spiritual convictions. But you justify it. You say, well, I, I just can't find anybody else. Or, you know, we're not really that serious. Or it won't, it won't affect me. Trust me, it won't affect me. Paul in Second Corinthians, though, he addresses this issue. He uses the same imagery from John, Second Corinthians 6. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what, righteous, what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? There's those words, fellowship, light, darkness. Trust me, there are very few exceptions to this. The spiritual temperature of your relationship, uh, whether it's a, a, a romantic relationship or merely a friendship, the spiritual temperature of your relationship will always settle to the level of the least interested person in that relationship. The person who is least interested in spiritual things will always set the spiritual temperature of your relationship. It is nearly impossible to overcome the inertia of that sort of relationship. But you, can, you rationalize it anyway. Now, we should be clear here. When John says we walk in darkness, he has in mind a settled disposition, a, uh, an orientation of your life. He's not talking about perfection. We'll come back to that in a minute. He's not talking about perfection. Uh, perfection. He's talking about a pattern, a chosen, intentional pattern. That's what he's talking about, walking in darkness. Uh, D.A. Carson writes about a conversation he had with his niece. This was several years ago. Uh, he was visiting her in Vancouver. She was an adult. She was, he says she was young and attractive and enthusiastic, and she'd been raised in a Christian home, his sister's home. But at the same time, he said, she lived a crooked and deceitful life. Uh, So he took her out for breakfast. And they sat down and he said, you know, you used to tell me that I was your favorite uncle. She laughed, she said, yeah. He said, well, as your favorite uncle, I have a few things to say to you. He said this conversation. Do you still believe the things that your mom and dad told you? Yes, I believe them. Do you still believe God judges human beings and holds us accountable? Yes, I believe that. Do you still believe that Jesus came and died for sinners so that we might be forgiven? Yeah, I believe that. What bearing does it have on how you live, on the fellow that you're shacked up with, on the values you put on life, and whether you ever meet with God's people or whether you ever read the Bible? How do you put this together? She said, I believe all those things. But isn't there some sort of entailment for how you live? She said, not really. God will forgive me. It's possible to be self-deceived. Here's another way that we can live in this tension of verse 6 or think we can live in this tension of verse 6. Um, it's interesting. John, in verse 7, John says something that's striking. He says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Now, why does he say one another there? That's odd. Why doesn't he say, if we walk in the light, we ha- as he is in the light, we have fellowship with him? Right? Wouldn't that make more sense? When says he, instead, he says, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. There is a connection between our fellowship with God and our fellowship with one another. John circles back to this in John chapter 2. Look at verse 9. He uses the same language. Anyone who claims to be, uh, sorry, chapter 2, verse 9. Chapter 2, verse 9. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they're going because their darkness has blinded them. So there can be this conflict in your life. You can rationalize away your behavior, and one of the conflicts can have to do with your love for other people. Hmm. Uh, there used to be in the city of buffalo a ministry it was called the buffalo christian center the buffalo christian center was this huge building in downtown buffalo that uh, uh, used to be a social club and a non christian organization had bought it they modified it to host christian events it's a huge building five floors it had a miniature golf course it had a pool it had a basketball court it had an auditorium it had a skating rink it was just a great place My dad used to take our church youth group there and I was a little kid and I got to tag along. It's one of the advantages when your parents are volunteer youth group leaders. So one time we went to the Buffalo Christian Center and we actually stayed overnight. Uh, It was huge events. Lots of churches were there and all the guys slept in this big room uh, with, uh, uh, with the bathroom was over in the corner of this big room. Well, I woke up in the middle of the night and I had to go to the bathroom and it was pitch dark in there. And the only thing that you could see, the only light was there was a little strip of light around the bathroom door far away in the corner. So I started walking across the room and about every three feet I would step on or kick in the head some poor soul who was sleeping there on the sleeping bag. They would grunt, they'd roll over. It is impossible to walk in darkness and have fellowship with one another and with God because you keep kicking people in the head. It will not do to separate the two. It will not do to separate what you believe and how you live. Don't be deceived about this. Be careful of trying to deceive others. Are you trying to pull one over on your parents? You live one way at home in their presence you live another way outside of their uh, view? Are you Are trying to pull one over on your boyfriend or your girlfriend, trying to convince them that you're more spiritual than you actually are, or that you're more interested in spiritual things than you actually are? To have true fellowship with God, you have to walk in light with Him. You cannot walk in darkness. Now, this is our problem. What do we do? Point three here. What do we do about this this disposition we have toward darkness and the fact that God is light? There's a solution that God provides. Verse 7. He says, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son purifies us from all sin. Here's the call to walk with God, to walk like God, like uh, walking in darkness, walking in light is a settled disposition, It'd be in a new direction. How do you do that? You walk in the same way in fellowship with God that your fellowship with God began in the first place, the blood of Jesus. This is how your relationship with God began, and it's how it continues. John refers to Jesus' blood here uh, uh, for a couple of reasons. One, again, he is hammering home that Jesus is God's Son in the flesh, and he has real blood. He's hammering this, real blood, because he's a real person. So there's that. The second reason he refers to his blood is to remind us of the violent and sacrificial way that he died. He died on the cross for our cleansing. This is how you become a Christian in the first place, by recognizing your dark condition before God, your state of rebellion, and turning to Him. And you turn on the basis of what Jesus has done on the cross. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus tells a a wonderful story about a tax collector who goes to the temple one day in Jerusalem to pray. He's downcast because of his sin. He's recognized his own darkness in his life, and he's discouraged. And he comes to pray at the time that the sacrifice is being offered, And he prays to God and he says, Oh God, have mercy to me, a sinner. What he's saying is, God, please take the sacrifice that is being offered right now on the altar and apply it to my sin. Take that that death and credit me with it so so that I can be forgiven. You become a Christian by saying something very similar to God. God, please take the death that Jesus died on the cross and apply it to me. So that his death, when he bore your wrath on the cross, apply that to me so that it's credited toward me. So that my sins are credited to him and, and his death is credited to me. And his life then, his resurrection life, credited to me. That's how you become a Christian, on the basis of Jesus' death and turning to him. Uh, and, and And God cleanses you from sin. He makes it possible for you to begin walking in the light. You receive forgiveness and life. Your life now begins to change. But if you walk in the light, you will become increasingly aware of remaining darkness. It's like walking from one bathroom in my house to the other. Light gets brighter. You start to see things more. And that can be very discouraging. But Jesus' death continues to speak to our ongoing acts of darkness. It cleanses us. We're going to talk about this uh, more next week. But there, uh, uh, we are in need of, of cleansing constantly, and the solution is always the same. The solution that made you a Christian is the same solution that keeps you a Christian. Namely, it is the blood of Jesus. You walk continually with God, needing and depending on the blood of Jesus. The cross where we begin is the cross where we continue. This is a good reminder for those of you with a particularly tender conscience. This passage of Scripture, it's interesting. On the one hand, it, it should hammer away at people who say, it doesn't matter what I do uh, throughout the week because on Sunday I love God. So this passage, is a hammer. you can't do that. You lie. You liar. But, but this passage also comes tenderly and it says to those of you with very tender consciences, When you walk in the light, the light will make these evidences of darkness in your life more clear and more plain. And you know what, John says, the answer at that point in time is still always the same, turn to Jesus. Because the blood of Jesus cleanses, present tense, cleanses us from all sin. That's a great promise. It's meant to, to help us in our way and walking. Don't be overly discouraged. If you're in that settled disposition, I'm going to walk away from God, you can't walk with God and away from God at the same time. When you're walking in the light, and and, and those sins keep coming, and the light makes them worse, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us, purifies us from all sin. Everyone's had the experience here this morning, imagine, of getting picked for a team, right? It's time to divide the teams, let's pick teams. You have certain criteria for what team you're going to be on. You want to be on your friend's team, or if you can't be on your friend's team, you want to at least be on the team that's going to win, right? So you stand in the crowd and you think to yourself, pick me, pick me, oh, pick me. If you're a follower of Jesus, God has already picked you. And the good news is he is both a great friend and he's on the winning side. You want to be on his team. You want to be on his team. Now John says, being picked, it's time to take the field. Walk in the light as he is in the light. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we come before you this morning and I am grateful to you for these men and women who are here in this room, these teenagers who are here and those who are downstairs in the fellowship hall. Grateful to you for the children that are here and those who are caring for them and teaching them this morning. Thank you for our worship team as they have uh, led us. We, our desire this morning as we meet has been to honor you and to learn from you. Lord, I pray that you would take what, what John wrote and that you would drive it deeply into our minds and hearts. Lord, there are some in this room who need to be confronted because they're living a lie and they're not practicing the truth because they are claim to know you and yet they're walking in darkness. I pray that you would, by your grace and your kindness, turn them around, that they might walk in the light as you are in the light. Lord, I thank you for this great promise that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin because we still live in this dark world. We, 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 you know, we still have this broken sin nature within us. Thank you for the work that the Lord Jesus has done to rescue us. And our hope is that he will come soon. that you will do complete and total darkness eradication. And we will live in the light of the glory that is yours because you are the great God. Help us, O Lord, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.